Today, we discuss Russia's impending invasion of the Ukraine, and then we'll look at Novak Djokovic and how he made history by becoming the very first ever athlete who refused to take a drug and was disqualified from athletics. And then we'll look at Matt Walsh and his appearance on the Dr. Phil show so that we can take a look at the transgender movement and discuss some ideas about why they must continue to be opposed in the way that Walsh does so. And then we'll wrap it up with some important Christian news on today's show. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to check us out here at Indie Thinker. We really appreciate the uh, your time in watching this episode. If you like what you see slash hear, then please do us a huge favor. Please like this, share it, and then make sure to subscribe to the channel so that you never miss an episode. Before we jump into the show today, I want to let you know that we are sponsored by our friends over at Element Funding and the Kevin Blair team. Now, I've tried to warn you, but you thought I was Chicken Little and that the sky was not actually falling, but of course it still isn't. But you know the one thing that is rising is interest rates. So I still encourage you, right now interest rates are going up record high. They're still low, uh, let's face it. They're, they're not like Jimmy Carter 9% or what, and even higher, right? But, but they are going up, and the Fed has already promised by the summer they will go even higher than they are now. So what you can do to fend off against the rise of inflation and the rise of interest rates as a result of that inflation is you can go in and lock in a rate for your brand new home right now by going to kevinblairteam.com. Even if you don't live in the area where Kevin services, they can hook you up with a great lender that will help you find a great new home or help you refinance your home before rates go even further out of control. So go check them out today. All right, today on the show, we're going to talk about the stories that I already mentioned, but I like to try to set up these stories with kind of a theme as it were, a, a, an idea that will run throughout all of the stories that we discussed today. And that theme just simply is this, is I guess you could put it in terms of the Protestant movement. The Protestant movement was a protest movement. And in other words, it was a movement where Christians were protesting or standing against something. And we've heard the saying probably before that if we do not know what we stand for, we'll fall for anything. So we need to understand what we're willing to stand against, especially if we're Christians here. Now, this is broader than just Christians because I believe this is every single one of us. We need to understand what we're about, and, and we do this by understanding what we're against oftentimes. By standing against something, we are making a statement very often uh, for what we are for. Now, historically, this has been the way the Christian church understood their role in culture, their role in society. In fact, they were demanded of early on in the church to take a small pinch of incense and to throw it in an altar where it would be lit on fire and that aroma, that smoke would rise up and it would be a, an act of worship to a false god, typically the god of Rome or, or any false god that, that they were being forced to worship. And so they were just asked to do something simple like that, but many early Christians refused to do this and then lost their lives as a result of it. And now I want to set the stage so that you guys truly understand here the, the, the image and the idea of what was at stake is that, you know, it's just a little piece of incense, you know, and they're, and they're putting it on a fire and they're, and they're doing it in honor to a God that doesn't exist. And so you could rationalize in your head, you know, just, just throw the incense on there in your heart and in your mind. You don't actually have to be worshiping this God. You don't actually have to, you know, really believe what these people 
say they believe, just just do it. You know, it's just a way of showing, you, you know, you know how to get along with with your government. And and besides, once you do it, you can go and you can live freely and you can do whatever you want to in your church. Once you just do this small, insignificant, seemingly meaningless act. But many Christians, as I said before, refused to participate in that act and lost their lives as a result of it because early Christians knew that it was not just about standing for something, but it was also standing against something that made you truly a Christian, refusing to do what your government or what your totalitarian dictator said showed that you truly understood what it meant that God was your Lord and not Caesar was your Lord. I've talked about this often on the show, and I truly believe that when we do not give to God what is God's, we will ultimately give to Caesar what belongs to God. This is what Jesus said. Give to God what is God, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And if we're not doing the first thing, we're ultimately going to be ceding our rights, ceding our integrity, ceding our morality over to the state rather than giving it to God who really deserves it. And so the real question is, through this all, is what do we stand against? And this flies in the face of a modern-day church notion, which is don't just define yourself based upon what you're against. You know, Christians in the past have just been against stuff. You know, you need to define yourself by what you are for. Now, while there is a small, small sliver of truth to that idea, you do need to define yourself based upon what you are for. The opposite is not true. You don't need to not define yourself. There's double negatives there, but <laughs> you need to define yourself by what you are against as well. There's a theological term for this, by the way. There's apophatic knowledge of God. And theologians, when they say this, what they mean is that, is that you can know God through negative attributes. In other words, God is not evil. God is not unjust. The opposite of that, of course, is cataphatic knowledge, which is knowledge of God through positive attributes. And in other words, God is love, the Bible tells us. And, I'm, and I firmly believe in the power of revelation, God to be able to speak to you and to show you things that you about himself that otherwise you wouldn't know. And so there is, there is this idea that you can know God from his positive attributes, but actually most theologians think that we can know God almost entirely, if not fully. And like I said, I don't really agree with that, but many think that you can know God almost entirely simply by his negative attributes because God is so big, so majestic, so totally different than us. We can only know God by what he is not. And so the point is this, is that by being against something and by not being something, we are taking a stand very often for what we are for. And as Christians, as free-thinking individuals, we need to be willing to be against things. We need to have lines in the sand that we are willing to draw and say, we will not cross that line, no matter what is going on in the culture. And I've got a couple of headlines to show you today that I think will help us all draw those lines in the sand where we should draw them. So let's jump into our headlines. Many believe that we are right now on the precipice of war with Russia that is yet to be seen. However, Russia is gearing up, bringing in military equipment and armed military insurgents right now on the border of the Ukraine, and sure looks like they're going to invade. So let's jump into a headline from CNBC. If war is coming, the West must decide how far it will go to defend the Ukraine against Russia. So we're right now looking at the implications of an invasion by Russia in the Ukraine. Now, most of you guys will know that for the longest time, and this is since Stalin, if not before, uh, Russia has been 
trying to usurp power over Ukrainians and even doing all sorts of human injustices, human rights violations in order to try to fold Ukraine back into Russia. Uh, right now, it looks like they're set to do that yet again. And Biden said some things about this. We'll get to those in just a moment, but let's just kind of set the stage for what has taken place so that we can understand the seriousness of what's happening right now. Because a lot of us are, are a little worried, and, and that may be a foregone conclusion because we don't know what's going to happen, but we're all rightly thinking to ourselves, like in the midst of a global pandemic, it just seems like a, the, the icing on top of the cake, the cherry on top of the sundae, that we might also be headed toward a world war with Russia. So let's look and see what is going on right now in Russia. Fears of a Russian invasion of Ukraine are growing as the military buildup at the border shows no signs of dissipating and crisis talks remain at an impasse. As the U.S. and the U.K. respond with threats of sanctions and more, the withdrawal diplomatic staff and withdrawal diplomatic staff from their embassies in Kiev, analysts are questioning whether the West can actually deter Russia and just how far Western allies are willing to go to defend the country. So essentially you heard there that right now the U.S. embassy and other embassies have been vacated in preparation for what they believe is going to be Russian aggression on the border of Ukraine, if not further in the interior of the Ukraine. It also serves us to just take a brief step back in history that none of this stuff happened during Trump's presidency. I don't want to make too much of that, but I do believe that it's important for us to at least ask the question why. Is it possible that an absolutely fumbled withdrawal in Afghanistan led to the emboldening of the Russians to believe that aviator glasses Joe actually isn't that tough and won't do anything if Russians actually do take aggressive acts against Ukraine. And we further can see that tr that Biden has done almost nothing correct as his approval rating continues to drop and is at 33% now lower than any other president, lower than Trump has ever gotten. Now, let me step back and say not lower than, than any other president, but certainly record low for, for any president at this stage in the game. But the question asked throughout this thing is just really important, is how far are we willing to go to really defend the Ukraine against the Russians? Russia is a world power, and certainly if we do step into an armed combatant you know, show of aggression against what Russia is doing in the Ukraine, if we do more than just send NATO in to do our dirty work for us, what will that look like on the grand stage? Well, here is what Biden has to say about a impending invasion of uh, the Ukraine by the Russians. So he's got some strong talk and we'll dig into that. But I want you to hear first what he has to say about that. And so I think what you're going to see is that Russia will be held accountable. If it invades, and it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, et cetera. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the force amassed on the border, it is going to be a disaster for Russia if they further invade Ukraine and that our allies and partners are ready to impose severe cost and significant harm on Russia and the Russian economy. And, you know, we're going to fortify our NATO allies. I told him on the eastern flank, if in fact he does invade, we're going to, I've already shipped over $600 million worth of sophisticated equipment, defensive equipment to the Ukrainians. 
the cost of going into Ukraine in terms of physical loss of life for the Russians, they will be able to prevail over time, but it's going to be heavy. It's going to be real. It's going to be consequential. In addition to that, Putin has, a, you know, has a, a stark choice. Okay, so already there, we've got some strong talk from Biden, which I think, hey, I applaud him for that. But the question is, is, is he going to make good on any of the promises he said there? Well, the first thing I would say is that he's only promising sanctions. Now, for those of you who don't believe that we are the world's police force or that we shouldn't have any affairs in trying to protect anybody who is being aggressively attacked, I remind you of what took place in World War II and how it would have been unjust and uh, unjust of America not to get involved. And we took forever to get involved, which was a moral blight on our record. We should have been way more involved way sooner in acting against the, this totalitarian state, this fascist state in Nazi Germany. Now, maybe you disagree with that and you think that maybe we meddle a little too much. I'm open to the the discussion of how much is too much, but the point is this, is that we have an obligation as a world, uh, as a world power, as a force for good in the world, to help people who are being unjustly and unfairly attacked for no reason. If your neighbor was right now in the midst of a domestic dispute and you said, well, I shouldn't get involved. I should just mind my own business and what do I have to do over there with those people and what's going on with their house? And and and, and I'm just going to I'm going to take care of my own backyard. I'm going to make sure that everything's good here before I ever go next door and try to mess with my neighbor who is beating his wife right now. You're a bad person. So in the same way, on a much grander scale, when Russia which is a communist state and an evil empire, invades a place like the Ukraine, I believe that we need to take aggressive stances against that. Now, I'd love to know what you think about that. You can certainly comment below, but I would love to hear you try to find some way to morally justify our inactivity when lives could be at risk. Now, certainly there's degrees here, and this is what Biden says uh, when he talks about the Ukraine being invaded by Russia. Now, he also makes a really, really kind of startling remark here when he says that it depends on how much they invade the Ukraine. Uh, let me quote him specifically so that there's no misunderstandings. He says that uh, that uh, it depends if it's a minor incursion. And so the point is, is that many people have come out and said this, that there is no such thing as a minor incursion. If Canada took up arms, lined up on the border, and then started to infiltrate like Buffalo, New York, or something like that, why would they? Who knows? That's a story for a different day. But nonetheless, they take up arms and they jump into Buffalo, New York and have a minor incursion. What do you think our response would be to that? There is no such thing as a minor incursion. Any act of aggression crossing the border and fighting against the Ukrainians is is an act of war. And so the question is, is are we going to do more than just provide sanctions? Are we going to do more than just try to slap people on the hand? Are we actually going to make good on the promise to defend these people? Now, let me just say something so that I can hedge my bet here. It's possible that Biden isn't being as aggressive as he needs to be because there is national security issues here. He's not going to display before the world to see and certainly for Russia to see what we intend to do in advance. However, what we can see 
is that this administration has been fragile from the very beginning, not unlike our president, and that it has emboldened the Russians through things like what took place in Afghanistan. And perhaps we might have something to do, even in a roundabout way, with the fact that Russia is right now going to try to invade in the Ukraine. And the question really remains is not only do we have any culpability, but the question remains, are we going to continue to let Biden make false threats and continue to fumble foreign policy? That's the real question at the end of the day, is will we live by lies? If, and this is a strong if, but a pretty safe bet, I'd say, if Biden fumbles yet again this foreign policy disaster and fails to take any aggressive stance toward Russia that really does more than just offers a little slap on the wrist and little sanctions, but fails to actually show any real aggression towards the unjust acts of Russia, then this is the, this should be the the death nail in the coffin for Biden. He's already at historic low uh, approval ratings, as we already suggested, and and he has done there's a, let me step back too and just say this there's been this talk about Trump right uh, Bill Maher the other day on his show talked about Trump and and how uh, as ridiculous as Trump was, he had passionate supporters and that really it's just Biden has not been able to gain passionate support. Here's the problem with that is that Trump, for all of his foibles, and there were many, narcissism is probably the least of them. There were many foibles. For all of them, the reason he had passionate support was not just that he was a great rhetorician. It's clear he was not. The reason he had passionate support was because he actually did good things, giving millions of dollars to historically black colleges and universities, uh, prison reform, which many are not a fan of, but many are a fan of, was actually able to do some things in prison reform to help people get out sooner for minor violations. He was able to actually get historic low unemployment. This is the kind of stuff that creates passionate support. When you fumble everything that you've done, it's hard to get passionate support. When you cannot even get your own party to vote along with you because your policies are so radical, that's why you lack passionate support. So this has nothing to do with the ability for Donald Trump to blind people. It has everything to do with the ability of, of Joe Biden to do what Barack Obama said he could do. He would find a way to screw up everything. And that is exactly what this presidency has become. But here is where our theme comes back into play. Will you refuse to live by lies? I don't care how much you hated Trump. I don't care how much you uh, wanted Biden to be in office. I don't care how dedicated to the Democratic Party you are. Will you continue to live by lies? This presidency from beginning to end has been an absolute crap show. And if he fails yet again on this on this event, then I think it's time we we said goodbye to the, the Biden administration and said it's time to vote differently when we get the opportunity to do so in 2022. He's done nothing with the fact that he has control of the House and the Senate and the executive. There's been fumblings all along the way. So will we let him here once again tell the American people promises strong action against Russia? If Russia does what we all think they're going to do, 
I hope we are all watching right now to see how Biden truly responds. And if he fumbles yet again, we say we're not going to be lied to by our executive branch any longer. You serve us. We do not serve you. Therefore, we are going to vote not in accordance with party allyship. We're going to vote in accordance with the truth because we refuse to live by lies. Now, let's jump into our second headline. Novak Djokovic is preparing to sue Australia for $6 million over ill treatment after being booted out of the country as Tennis Australia denies paying his legal bills. So there's been some back and forth right now about the Djokovic battle as to whether or not he's actually going to sue him. Right now, uh, the report from the Daily Mail here and other places is just simply that he's looking into suing them. Now, why is he suing them? So this is the importance of the story here is that Novak Djokovic, who is a world-famous is probably the number one tennis player in the whole world, was denied entrance into the Australian Open, which is right now going on. And here's why, because he refused to get vaccinated. He had already had COVID, said that he would not get vaccinated, and therefore Australia would not let him into the country so that he could participate in the Australian Open. And then just the other week, he was deported from Australia, which signaled the end of his fight to actually compete in the Australian Open. And as I suggested at the beginning of the episode, making him a historical figure, the very first ever athlete to be kicked out of competition and disqualified for refusing to take a drug. So Novak Djokovic is not going to compete in the Australian Open. And of course, that means that not only did he have to fight an incredible amount of legal battles to get into the country, which he was denied, but also, too, he is going to be robbed of a bunch of money from being able to compete and win in the Australian Open that would have come to him if he fared well in the competition. So at the end of the day, there sure seems to be a case that Djokovic has with suing Australia. Now, hopefully by now, we can see past the utter insanity of someone who has natural immunity being refused entrance into a country simply because he will not get a vaccine. Now, there's some crazy stuff going on in Australia, as I'm sure you've seen, and you can see that here. They're incredibly oppressive in terms of lockdown and in terms of vaccines. Now, because we happen to actually still have a constitution in this United States, We've actually avoided some of that stuff, but it hasn't stopped us from giving in to the COVID hysteria that is around this issue. And there's still so many people because of this surge with Omicron that is causing people to just absolutely throw their brains in the garbage when it comes to COVID. And there needs to be some accounting for this. And so this is where I want to bring you to what Bill Maher just recently suggested on his show when he delivered a Gallup poll. Now, he's going to dis kind of illustrate this for you guys, but suffice to say, the Gallup poll shows the incredible diversity of understanding of COVID between independents, Republicans, and Democrats. And you'll see in the Gallup poll that Democrats are the most misinformed people as to certain issues surrounding COVID. Here, I'll let you watch that for yourself. You know, the high information by the science people. In a recent Gallup survey, Democrats did much worse than Republicans in getting the right answer to the fundamental question, what are the chances that someone who gets COVID will need to be hospitalized? The answer is between one and 5%. 41% of Democrats thought it was over 50%. Another 28% put the chances at 20 to 49. So almost 70% of Democrats are wildly off 
on this key question and also have a greatly exaggerated view of the danger of COVID-2 and the mortality rate among children. All of which explains why today the states with the highest share of schools that are still closed are all blue states. So if the right-wing media bubble has to own things like climate change denial, shouldn't liberal media have to answer for how did your audience wind up believing such a bunch of crap about COVID? Right on. Uh, the man is hardly any right-leaning pundit. Um, he's a classic liberal, and he's making a valid point here that I think we need to be willing to consider, that we need to be willing to think about. If, you know, Republican, red state, uh, red-dominated ideology created the big lie, which then led to January 6th, and Republicans and people who voted for Donald Trump need to answer for that. And the January 6th, that farce of a committee, uh, is, it, it deserves to be publicly holding this trial so that we can hold these people to account. Well, who is going to hold the left to account for the incredible amount of misinformation surrounding COVID? Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that any of the 800,000 people in climbing that have died in the United States are, are anything other than a travesty. Of course, that is only to try to blackmail people, to try to use other people's death, as unfortunate as they are, to try to prove your point, which shame on you for doing it. COVID hysteria has absolutely blinded people to the point where there are people on social media and other places that suggest that if you refuse to vaccinate your kids, well, then your kids should be taken from you. Or, better yet, if you didn't get vaccinated, well, then you deserve to die. Well, shame on you. That is COVID hysteria to the max. Either you're a garbage person and you have garbage morality, or you've given in to the mainstream media's lying take on COVID and you have become utterly misinformed about the dangers of COVID. Right now, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that those who are COVID vaccinated, triple vaxxed and quadruple boosted, and even tramp stamped, that all of that will not protect you from Omicron by and large, except to make what happens less severe. So great, get the vaccine if you want to, but understand this, vaccinated people are contracting and spreading COVID just as are people who are not vaccinated. And natural immunity still is a thing at the end of the day. And this is the Novak Djokovic thing, is that if you have natural immunity, it is still stronger than the vaccine. And so you say, well, you should double up on it. Get natural immunity and the vaccine. Fine, 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 fine. But let's not pretend that we live in a world where natural immunity isn't stronger than a vaccine. We all know the truth unless you've been blinded by COVID hysteria. So if the first question that you ask when somebody dies from COVID is, were they vaccinated? Heck, if you ask that question at all, shame on you. It was none of your business before COVID. It's none of your business after COVID. And good people, when somebody dies, they don't give in to COVID hysteria. They say, I'm praying for you. What can I do for you? And if you can't muster that, then you are absolutely a victim of the mainstream media's narrative to try to overblow COVID. And this is why you have a, a group of people so almost 70% of which are utterly misinformed about the dangers and the hospitalization of COVID. And we have to be aware of that.
We have to be at least willing to consider if what we think about COVID and what we think about vaccines and what we think about all this stuff is really just misinformation preying upon our emotions. We've been lied to, guys, and it's time we started taking a stand. We should take a stand and say we will not live by lies, especially if you're a Christian. And yeah, you better believe it. I'm plugging right now the book of Rod Dreher, Live Not By Lies. We as Christians must refuse to do so. And by the way, I got to throw this in here too because I'm still a pastor at heart. For those of you Christians who have said, well, the modern day way to love people, the way Jesus said to love people is to get vaccinated. Shame on you for twisting and contorting scripture. The way to love people is the way that Jesus always meant to love people, is to look past their faults and to consider them the way that God considers them, not to get a vaccine. That is a perversion of scripture. And ultimately what it is, is just simply, simply this. It's people giving into COVID hysteria. And this is what the media wants. The media wants to prey upon your emotions because they know that you don't think clearly when you're emotional, that you don't use all of your brain's ability. In fact, you don't use your, your uh, prefrontal cortex, the thing that helps you make and analyze and make critical thinking decisions when you're emotional. Scientists have proven this, that you actually use your hypothalamus, which means you that, that is also the area that is responsible for your flight or fight response. So in other words, when you're emotional, you literally are a binary thinker and you cannot think critically. This is what COVID hysteria has done to us, is that it keeps us from actually thinking critically about the things that we're being told. And so I hope we're willing to step back and question the way that we're acting and the way that we're responding to all of this stuff for those of us who are Christians and to make sure it's biblical and more importantly, for all of us to make sure that we are using critical thinking throughout all of this so that we will not be manipulated, whether it's by the media or our political class. All right, let's jump into the third and final headline. So just recently, Matt Walsh was on the Dr. Phil show where he spoke to two transgender activists. And here's just a little bit of that. One of those opponents, Addison Rose Vincent, who is the one with the beard, posted a story to Instagram shortly before the episode aired uh, yesterday. Addison is not pleased. The post explains, quote, about a month ago, Ethan and I were invited to be guests on the Dr. Phil show to share our, our uh, stories and discuss pronouns. We were excited for the opportunity to educate in a safe space. So you see here, by the way, that they were not looking for a, a debate. They, they were there to educate. And that means that they speak and the rest of us shut up and listen. But that's not exactly how it worked out for them, and now they're traumatized. Back to the post. What ended up happening was much different than we discussed, than they discussed with us, and we left feeling attacked by another guest and played by the producers. Well, the other guest sounds like a jerk. I mean, I, I can't believe he would do that. Addison continues, the episode airs today, and we're very worried about how the whole thing will be edited. If you want to watch, go for it, but it may be uncomfortable or triggering to do so. Since the taping, Ethan and I have been experiencing a heightened level of anxiety to the point that we've had numerous nightmares and depression spirals over the last month. This week has been the worst. So what are Addison and Ethan, the poor dears, really upset about? They knew they'd be facing off with people who disagree with them. They also talk about these issues every single day for a living. It's their job to go around promoting this stuff. So wh why did I traumatize them? How? Why am I now haunting their dreams? I mean, this is me we're talking about. I'm a cuddly, nice, and lovable guy. 
The answer is that our culture has so effectively scared the sane people into silence that these propagandists have been running essentially unopposed this whole time. They've never run into any pushback. They've never encountered any friction. Nobody has ever called them out on their nonsense, ever, for a lot of them. They've been so ensconced in their bubble, so comfortable in their protective cocoon, that it never even occurred to them that anybody would, that anybody would come on national television and actually challenge their position. The possibility was literally unthinkable. Now, I don't know about you, but I find Matt's approach to this and his rhetoric around this issue incredibly refreshing. Here's why. Because for the longest time, Christians have been bought into the blackmail of the transgender movement and the LGBTQIA pluses ad infinitum. Uh, and, and what we've said is we've, we've relegated our position is, uh, to just simply, we won't talk about biblical sexuality. Instead, here's what we'll do. We'll hide as much as we possibly can on a Sunday morning what we actually believe about this issue. We won't actually ever address the passages and the topics on this issue from the Bible. What we'll do is we'll just try to love people to the best of our ability, but we'll do that by lying to them. So this has been the blackmail that we have bought into in the Christian church because we've said the one thing that we cannot be called is a transphobe, which, of course, is what any person who says anything contrary to the transgender movement and to the transgender transgender agenda, anybody who says anything contrary to them, of course, is is a person who is triggering and a person who is a transphobe and is a person who is hateful. Of, of course, that's not true, but the point is is that we've we've bought into the blackmail in the Christian church, and so we've developed even this language where we say, well, we're going to be affirming uh, or welcoming, but not affirming. So we'll welcome those people into our church, and but but we won't just say that we agree with it. Like, how is that even the conversation we're having, that we won't agree with it? The Bible is utterly clear what b- biblical sexuality looks like. It's not even a question, will you be welcoming and affirming? The question is, is will you actually buy in to the blackmail that is being imposed upon you, or will you actually grow a spine and realize that the people in this movement have been so unopposed by people like us, from from anybody who wants to stand for the truth, they've been so unopposed that even the slightest pushback is traumatizing to them. This should not be an opportunity for us to try to stroke their ego and their feelings. This should be an opportunity for us to realize, boy, we have not been doing our job. And if we think that we can just go in the direction that we've consistently been going and not see what's happening like in places like Canada and America, I think we're deceiving ourselves. So I want to show you this headline before we move on to the last segment. So right now in Canada, they are banning conversion therapy. The law which takes effect on Friday puts Canada in the company of more than a dozen countries that have banned the widely discredited practice. Now, who has it been discredited by? Well, of course, activists, so it must be discredited. And of course, if all of your other 12 friends jump off a bridge, you should jump off one too. So regardless of the fact that other countries have put in this radical ban and this radical ideology into practice, Canada has decided to do it as well. Now, 
before we go any further, we have to explain conversion therapy a little bit, right? Because there are people on the uh, in the LGBTQIA plus whatever uh, movement who would try to explain to you that this is some medieval practice of hooking electrodes to a person who's transgender and giving them shock therapy until they finally consent to the biblical reality of biological sex. And, 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 and we put these people in a sanatorium, straightjacket them until they finally consent. And of course, this is not true, because if you go to the bill itself, it will explain conversion therapy for you. So here's what it says. Conversion therapy is a practice that seeks to change an individual's sexual orientation to heterosexual. So it's only if you're trying to convince them that they are heterosexual or to change an individual's identity to cisgender, or to change their gender expression to match the sex they were assigned at birth. So in other words, if some radical doctor looks at your genitalia and tries to be Hitler and assign you a gender at birth, then this doctor um, is, is participating in uh, what will ultimately lead to the damage of the psyche of individuals who are transgender. And anybody who tries to tell you that what that doctor did was a biological reality is in violation of this bill. So this bill is really clearly aimed at and positioned to only demonize one way of thinking. And that just so happens to be the biblical way of thinking and the biological reality side of thinking. So essentially, if a pastor wants to counsel somebody in his congregation and tries to impress upon them the importance of biblical sexuality, they're in violation of this bill. So essentially, all they've done, this bill outlaws biblical and biological sexual reality. Now, of course, people who are for this bill are going to say that's not true. You still have the power of free speech. But of course, that's not true because this bill has been broadened enough just so that it can encapsulate, encapsulate anything that, that they deem necessary to, to include in this bill. And so the bill proposes to create four offenses that would prohibit the following. Causing another person to undergo conversion therapy, which we already explained. And if somebody undergoes conversion therapy, say a pastor who has holds a counseling degree, that pastor could go to jail for five years. Uh, so the other one is removing a minor, a minor from Canada to undergo conversion therapy abroad is also an offense. So if you're a parent, and you want your kid to do conversion therapy, and you leave Canada and go to the United States, let's say, and, and that happens, well, then you as a parent will get five years imprisonment on indictment, could, a maximum penalty of five years on indictment. And then, of course, if you profit from conversion therapy, that's uh, two years imprisonment on indictment, potentially. And then if you pro prohibit, or sorry, if you promote or advertise conversion therapy, a hybrid offense with a maximum penalty of two years imprisonment is possible upon indictment. So here is the point. If you don't give in to the ideology of leftist, radical, unscientific gender ideology, if you don't give in to the cultural Marxist lie that we need to disrupt our social societal norms so that we can enact revolution, if you don't give in to that lie, then ultimately... You're going to jail in Canada, and I think we're fooling ourselves if we don't think that the leftism that's inundating our political class might also eventually find its way into a political leader or even a future president where this becomes a reality in America. Nonetheless, the point is, is when lies are unopposed, they flourish. And this is why the transgender movement has been allowed to progress as it has in society, where, according to some polls, now, a total of 40% of people qualify themselves as transgender in Gen Z. 
So the question is, is will you continue to let this movement be unopposed and continue to let it gain ground? Will you continue to be blackmailed by the accusation of transphobia instead of standing for the truth? Let's jump into our final segment of the day, Christianity Not Today. So Christianity Not Today is just my way of kind of talking about things that are going on in the Christian world, but it's also, as you might be able to guess, a little jab, a little troll, if you will, at Christianity Today, because Christianity Today happens not to represent Christianity Today or ever almost in any way possible because they are so infiltrated by leftist ideology and liberal theology. Uh, if any theology whatsoever. So they don't really represent Christianity today, so that's why we call this Christianity Not Today. But uh, hopefully we'll try to create some interesting thoughts, and today we've got quite a story for you. So we'll throw up this headline, Pastor Michael Todd rubs spit on the face of a churchgoer. I'm about to share with you this clip here, and I've got to tell you, every time I've watched it, it just is kind of like gut-wrenching. So... Here is Michael Todd rubbing spit on a churchgoer's face. Watching something and you don't see it clearly yet, but you hear. <laughs> and this is where most people would not face Jesus anymore. What most people would do is turn away <coughs> yeah because the vision I'm about to give you it might get nasty and do you do you hear and see the responses of the people. The response that Michael Todd received in that moment, I don't think he even is processing right. Because people are not just disgusted, people are laughing because the man just clowned himself. It was so absurd what he did on that stage that people, I think, were in utter shock that he would be willing to do that. Now, Michael Todd got the message because he'll later apologize for this, and you can see that apology here. I just want to acknowledge uh, what happened yesterday when the spit hit the fan. I watched it back and um, it was disgusting. <laughs> like that was gross. I want to validate everybody's feelings um, that that was a distraction to what I was really trying to do. I was really trying to make the word come alive and for people to see the story. But yesterday it got too live and I own that. And um, I just want to make sure people know that we want to help people. Appreciate the apology, all that stuff. People were disgusted. People were distracted. Is that really what's going on here? Yeah, they were disgusted, man. But the real problem here is not that they were distracted. The real problem is, is that you had the idea to do something like this in the first place. And we have to then crawl into the psyche of this pastor and maybe even deeper into the psyche of the modern day church to ask ourselves, where in the world have we gone? that we now find ourselves in the midst of a pastor thinking that it's okay to hawk a loogie into his hand and then rub it on his face, regardless of if it's, of if it's his brother's face or not. What captivated an individual to actually think that that is an illustration that should be done in church? So the first thing we have to say about this is that, man, this is theatricality gone too far. 
Um, yeah, you know, this is this is a play on Batman, right? Well, well, you took my advice about theatricality a bit, literally. This is what happens when the church is not reliant upon scripture anymore, and we have to one-up ourselves uh, to, to the point of buffoonery to try to get people's attention because we no longer have the captivating nature of the truth. I'm not against sermon illustrations. And yeah, the cooler, the better. I love film, and I think that those serve as great illustrations for our heart, our minds, and our soul. But there is a point where you're going a little bit too far, and now you're polluting the truth, truth and, 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 and taking the, the whole point of a passage away for the purpose of your illustration. Because that sermon, that idea that Jesus is illustrating in that moment has nothing to do with disgusting a congregation out. It has everything to do with a miracle. If the man's eyes were went from blind to being able to see in that moment, I would understand spit all over him. But drawing attention to yourself and trying to be audacious is not what Jesus was doing at all. Jesus wasn't even trying to be gross. Jesus was making mud. He spit into the mud. But this is what happens when the church has absolutely forsaken scripture for theatricality. And the other thing that this tells us is that not only is this theatricality gone too far because of a lack of biblical rooting and biblical foundation, this is this is mega church pastor cult of personality issues gone way too far. This is cultish thinking here to believe that you could do something like this to another human being and that this would be acceptable because it was being done in the service of God or the service of of scripture or the service of a sermon, however you want to put it. People don't think like this, except that their fame has gotten so to their head that they're no longer thinking like a normal person. When people who are not Christians see this stuff, they believe that this is kind of cultic thinking and cultic personality on steroids, and they're not wrong. This is cultish behavior. This is not something that should be celebrated. And, and for this guy to give this smiling apology and to say, I went too far. No, bro, you did something you're not supposed to be doing, and you should be sorry about it. Uh, the spit hit the fan. Th- this man is totally unserious. And how can you even take pastors like this seriously anymore? The, the point here is, is that if this is cultist personality on steroids, if the, the megachurch cult pastor personality is finally something that we need to do something about, then, then here's the point. We need to foster healthy churches with our attendance, and we need to leave churches like this who are doing ridiculous things, who are not only violating the scripture, but also treating people in such a way that you would never, ever treat them in service of your sermon, using people. This is cultish behavior. And this is where we've come, come in the modern-day church with the cult of personality. This is what, is what is happening as a result of the megachurch. We are idolizing our pastor, pastors and giving them the warrant to do things that no good, honest, moral human being would ever do to another human. So here's the thing you need to stop doing. You need to stop fostering these churches and their unhealthy habits with your attendance. Go to a church that you believe in the things that are going on there, and the things that are going on there are not incredibly cultish and creepy to anybody who would be an outside observer. So here's the point. If you're tired of sitting back and not taking a stand 
and you understand the importance of opposing certain things, and I would love to know the ways in which you're doing that. You can leave a comment below. Thank you so much for watching. God bless. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.